in the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see you bite. Let me see your scars. Purple, the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the entire internet and the official podcast of the Cody Pickett fan club. I am Andrew Berg and joining me back from a month long sojourn through every pickleball court in the greater North America and area. It's Gaby Lucas. Gaby, how are you doing tonight? Hi, I'm good. I, uh, my cat has climbed into my couch. So that's a fun development. Uh, and for some reason, I think after 14 months of pandemicing, you you really have to grab onto the little things. So uh, that's what distinguishes this day from you know all other days of the last 14 months. So yeah, yeah, solid eight out of ten. <laughs> we should uh, update everybody on on where we've been. We had some technical problems towards the end of this the season. I think college football in general had some technical problems, and we weren't any different. And at the end of the season, we were planning to do a year in review type of show. And we found our, our dearly beloved producer, Rob was moving on to greener and less podcasting uh, pastures to go get married and do more busy work things. So we were without a podcast producer for months and now we are welcoming a new producer, Colin to the podcast. So uh, we are back. We will be recording intermittently from time to time again through the off season and then ready to go once the Huskies are ready to go in the fall. Uh, does that sound good to you, Gaby? You want to just jump in with some spring practice thoughts? Yeah, that sounds good. I well, Before we do go, I would like to say that we had two uh, episodes during last fall that like the recording monster just like deleted. And I find that particularly tragic because those were the only two episodes where I've ever finished recording. And my immediate thought wasn't, wow, I sounded like a moron. So hope I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that we have a slightly new setup where I feel like that's a little bit less likely. Um, but yeah, so uh, you asked me about spring practice, right? Thoughts. Um, the thing, am I just going with my first, first thing that pops into my brain no matter what? Yeah, that's what? a great way to do it. Okay. Because I... This isn't like the number one most important whatever, who cares, but the most intriguing little tidbit that I'm sure I'm attributing more value to than it's worth is hearing that Braylon Trice got uh, for, got like pretty significant first team reps on, uh, I think it was Monday and Saturday. Um, I, I might have that wrong. I think to me that means even if it's not indicative of like, oh, he's going to explode immediately and whatever and blow your expectations out of proportion. I think I, I know for some people we were thinking, oh, that's, he's going to be the guy that will transfer out before we knew that Latu, you know, was had to retire, which is super sad. Um, and now all of a sudden thinking that like, oh, he could actually be ge a genuine addition to, to making that whole unit really, really having something to work with beyond just ZTF and uh, Bowman and the potential of Smalls. Um, 
So I don't think that'll be like the number one takeaway we have after, you know, the next month, but that's something that I think I'll be keeping my eye on, at least in in the periphery. Yeah, that's an interesting place to start because it speaks to a bunch of changes that happened, some of them really big, some of them really little, and you can kind of talk through a, a lot of the evolution of the defense just looking at that one outside linebacker spot. You zoom far enough out and you start talking about, yeah, since the last time we talked, you promoted Bob Gregory to defensive coordinator. Uh, how is that going to change the scheme? We also heard a little bit early in, in spring practice about uh, lose, running something more akin to a traditional 3-4 defense, and maybe that was uh, something more along the lines of just installing a base to work off of. Uh, there was, like you mentioned, uh, Latu having to uh, medically retire. We also got Jeremiah Martin transferring in, which was a bit of a surprise because that looked like something of a loaded position for the next couple of years with uh, upperclassmen like Bowman and ZTF and then Smalls and Latu uh, behind them. And then, like you said, Trice kind of seemed like the odd man out. But all of a sudden, you know, if we're potentially going to see maybe Bowman or maybe ZTF lining up um, on, as a defensive lineman more traditionally with a couple outside linebackers, Trice is definitely more that size. I, I'm curious if you think that would speak to more of a transformation in the defensive scheme or if it's more just along the lines of maybe he's outplaying some of these uh, older guys or maybe he's, uh, you know, joining a larger rotation now that one of the presumed rotational pieces is no longer uh, able to play. So I think what you're saying is is interesting about Trice because it speaks to a bunch of questions through the rest of the defense, both really big and really granular questions. Like we can go back all the way to uh, a few months ago, since the last time we talked, we lost Pete Kwiatkowski as the defensive coordinator to Texas and Bob Gregory got promoted to that role. Even during spring camp already, we've heard reports that they were installing more of a traditional 3-4 look as opposed to the 3-3-5 or the base nickel look that we usually see or the 2-4-5. Uh, so it's interesting because Trice is definitely one of those outside linebacker-sized guys. You mentioned Latu retiring. We had Jeremiah Martin transferring in at what looked like a loaded position. But if they're going to run three linemen, maybe we see more Ryan Bowman on the line. Maybe ZTF uh, has his hand in the ground more often, and they're using two more traditional outside linebackers. Do you think Trice's path to playing time is more in our traditional uh, defensive formation as part of a larger rotation? Or do you think this might be them experimenting with more of uh, a 3-4 pro-style type uh, defensive alignment? Um, I think two things go into my answer to that. And I think one of them is, um, I, even though they you know, were running tries with the ones um, a bit from all reports, I'm still tampering my expectation. Like, I don't think he's going to be a until given solid evidence otherwise, I should say, I don't think he's going to be a, like, um, I, I don't think he's going to be a primary cast member um, on that on that defense, other than just rotating in, um, as they like to do in the outside linebackers and line. Um, and then also, I think, I, I'm kind of, a, I'm carrying a similar intrigue and skepticism regarding the reports of, of them running um, more of a 3-4. Because um, I, I, even if I, I know there is some both assumption and 
um, some of that being kind of validated by, um, I think it was Jimmy Lake, um, in interviews that, that there is, they are working a little bit on maybe getting some more push on the line in running situations, um, and kind of bringing in that, that non-nickel more traditional look to do that. Um, but I, I still think with, when you look at the philosophy of this defense and just the realities of modern offenses, especially in college, I don't think you can realistically, I don't think you can realistically be playing not nickel as a stand as a genuinely standard defense or like a standard look defense. I mean, we even saw that with, um, I think it was Lovey Smith, right. <laughs> at, um, yeah. talk at Illinois, pretty much sounding like a total idiot. Um, last week talking about like, Oh, we didn't run nickel. Cause we just didn't. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well you sucked. Um, and I, I think it's, I think there's, it, there's something to be said that even if you are experimenting with maybe running uh, three, four, or, you know, are preparing to bring that out or are using that as a baseline to install related nickel packages that kind of uh, use that as a foundation. Um, I, I can't imagine them going to genuinely using a just four defensive back uh, look as a, um, as their as their default, I I won't expect that until until they show it is one hundred percent true. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I, I'm also one of these people who kind of errs on the side of what we've seen before is most likely to be what yeah. we're going to see in the future until it, it we see something different. Uh, at the same time, it would be really nice to have that club in the bag or that tool in the belt when we do run into a, like a game like Stanford last year. Uh, saw it against Oregon State to some extent too where it was just like over and over, we just could not get off the field. And what we were doing was not working. Like we were Lovey Smith in those situations. <laughs> it's like, we yeah. we have a situation, we have a, a, a problem and we just don't, aren't solving it. And it was pretty frustrating. And it would be nice to at least have a backup plan to go to in those situations. And we talked last year about, like is the solution to bring somebody like one of the bigger safeties, like, like Asa Turner or now like, it sounds like uh, Dom Hampton is, has put on enough weight that he's probably qualifies as one of those kind of linebacker size safeties into the box more frequently. We didn't see a ton of that. Maybe we see more of that, or maybe it's something with a more traditional defensive lineman replacing the nickel back on the field. That's, I mean, it'll be super interesting to see that through the year, but it's it. I like the idea of having a little more adaptability and flexibility and not just being rigid about it. Um, yeah. And I, what well, can I really quickly say? I think you yeah. pretty much nailed it, but it's, it's, I think it's more about having the option to do that and being prepared. than all of a sudden this is our standard. Well, as long as we're talking about systemic changes, is there anything else that jumps out to you about the uh, coach K to Gregory transition? I know, a lot of people were probably not thrilled to hear that name because he hasn't exactly earned the highest marks for his uh, linebacker development for the special teams play. Um, you know, I think there's a fair argument to be made that running a defense is different enough from coaching a position group that the, the, you're not going to get everything you need to know about somebody uh, in one role to, to predict their success in the other. Um uh, also, we have a head coach who's a great defensive coordinator. So, you know, maybe you just want somebody who's going to carry water for him. Um, you know, not trying to uh, ask leading questions here. 
But what what are you thinking about Bob Gregory as a defensive coordinator, having a little bit of time to digest that? Yeah, it really is weird talking about this because it feels like that was so long ago. Like, it feels like that was forever ago, like pre-pandemic almost, and when it was, what, two months? Yeah. Um, So I can't, I I really, yeah. Um, But there is something to be said about uh, time. I think, just like everybody, um, when it was announced that, okay, it's Bob Gregory is going to be the new defensive coordinator. I just like everyone was kind of like, oh, for the love of Christ. <laughs> but um, when for what it's worth, like and, and that is for what it is worth could be a different amount to different people. Um, but when Jimmy Lake came out a day, I think it was like a day afterwards and, and talked more about or gave more of an explanation for why he just went with Gregory. Um, it, it did make sense. Like I, it, this, it didn't, it, his pretty much him being like, okay, we could go out, spend a shitload of money on, um, someone who's, who's a splashier name. Who's going to probably bring in something new, or we could just like keep doing what we've doing, what we've been doing. Um, and as a, you know, defensive, as a former defensive coordinator, that, that makes sense. Um, granted, I still don't trust Bob Gregory that much <laughs> but um I, I it's hard to understate or to oh it's hard to excuse me it's hard to overstate losing Pete Kwiatkowski because he was so good at what he did um but I think there is something to be said about bring if they had they brought somebody in who was from a whether it was from a different system or just someone from somewhere else, there there is more moving parts in that alternative real alternative scenario. Um, and when there's more moving parts on a unit where they have been really good for the last five years, um, that is kind of that does bring in opportunities for or or different junctures for that standard of being really good to not be so good. Granted, um, you know, Gregory has varying reasons for us to have confidence in him or not, but, um, there, there's more continuity for a unit that has been good to elite more often than not. Obviously, like we already talked about with, or implied with the run defense, like there's plenty of places where they need to improve. Um, but continuity in, in a scenario where they're already high achieving is worth something, even if it's with a guy who you kind of cross your fingers about. Yeah. And I think there's the, these aren't, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier. I wouldn't say I'm optimistic about Gregory, but my hair isn't on fire either. It, I, <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I'm just kind of neutral about it because I think one, it, it's like those old Kung Fu movies or like, we have the tiger style kung fu like we already have the defense we're not asking bob gregory to invent a new style of kung fu we have the you know Pete kwiatkowski might have been the master but he also taught jimmy lake who's an outstanding defensive coach like i I think we're fine in terms of defensive scheme uh brain power uh so i don't think that's going to be the issue it's more like as a leader, is he able to get, empower his the right position coaches and put them in a position to help them develop their players? And, and 
the play calling is important, but I'm sure Lake is going to have a big uh, hand in that as well. I, I, you know, I just don't think that that role, like you said, we could have brought in a splashier name, but that would have brought with it a lot more risk. This is a very low risk version of it. Uh, but what we're we're talking about uh, Lake and his role in coaching the defense. One of the interesting things to me going into this spring practice is there's been some significant turnover in the secondary. There's probably more uncertainty in the secondary than there has been in, I don't know, quite a few years because we've had this really like great virtuous cycle of like every time somebody graduates, we spin up the, the guy right behind him and he's ready. And it's almost that never a question mark. Uh, last year, we didn't have great safety play. We lost our two best. Well, I mean, we had three phenomenal corners, one in the slot in Elijah Molden and Keith Taylor still bring back Trent McDuffie, which is a tremendous source of comfort. But how do you feel about the secondary as a whole? Do we have the right guys to step in at safety and raise the level of play from last year? And what is the likelihood that we can actually replace what we got from Molden and Taylor last year? Yeah, I think, I think there's kind of these two um, countering effects there. I think um, uh, losing Elijah Molden is huge. Um, uh, similar to losing Pete Kukowski, I think it would be pretty difficult to overstate the significance of him leaving, which for, which also while we're at it, congratulations to uh, Elijah Molden for uh, today when we're recording this, but yesterday when this uh, is coming out um, for getting engaged. Yay, air clap. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that dude is, I mean, yeah, he's so good. And it would be pretty stupid to expect someone to come in to that spot uh, and be seamless. Uh, maybe that'll happen. Probably won't. Um, but so, well, you know, that nickel position, which is really important in this defense, um, obviously, we can expect to step down. Um, I think the safeties, I'm an, I, for me personally, I feel more optimistic about the ceiling for the safeties this year as a unit simply because of the um, personnel and the relative to last year depth of personnel there and how, you know, just as far as probabilities go, how having you know, last year it was like the only guys who we really could knew could be in that position and play at whatever level they play at. It was like Cam Williams, Asa Turner, both super young, like true sophomores in a bonkers year. And um, I'm just spacing out. And like Alex Cook. Cook and then yeah. like Julius Irvin, it was like, okay, maybe, hopefully, who knows, really good athlete, but was injured a lot. And like Dom Hampton, who's kind of, a uh, high ceiling, but project guy who knows if he's a corner or safety last year, obviously now we know he's pretty solidly, pretty obviously on that safety path. Um, and I think, so when you look at that last year versus now having Williams and Turner who have not been flawless, um, but, and, and yeah, who haven't been flawless and there's plenty of that that we can discuss. Um, but they've been above average compared to what you look for at a what you look at for most college safeties. Um, and Alex Cook, uh, who you know what that's now is doing some math. This Eighth you know fourth year, bajillionth year. year. Oh, fourth year. Yeah, um, <laughs> class in 2017, and I don't want to do math. Um, and then so you have him, you have Williams and Turner going into their true junior years, um, and if they can't you know it's not a given 
that they're going to elevate their play from the last year. Um, but then you also have Julius Irvin and Dom Hampton, who you know are high ceiling guys, and Julius Irvin, who probably, frankly, would have been playing above all those other three had it not been for really crappy injury luck for his first two years. Um, and then kind of getting back into form last year. So I think just based on the probability of having five guys who more or less are trustworthy in that in that um in that scenario to uh just that i hate this is so stupid it's not about iron sharpens iron but it's just about there's simply mathematically you know what you're looking at and you know they're probably going to be getting better plus there's more people in that pool to pick from um so i think it's reasonable i think to assume not to assume i don't like to that but I think it's reasonable to expect an improvement in safety play as we see a downgrade in nickel um so who knows what the the aggregate of that will be (laughs) um because it depends on the degrees each goes up or down but um I I I I, yeah I I guess who knows if that'll cancel each other out or or be net positive or negative or whatever um but that's kind of the take I'm going to be expecting. Yeah, it is. It, I think this is probably by design. But if you look at safety versus cornerback, it kind of looks like safety. They've diversified their investments a little bit. Like There's a bunch of different ways it could go. And if a couple of them don't work out, they have things to fall back on at cornerback. Uh, you know, these super high end guys, Trent McDuffie. Namely, it seems like Kyler Gordon's going to get a lot of playing time. And then the transfer, uh, Radley Hiles from Oklahoma, was a crazy high recruit, uh, kind of uneven career at Oklahoma, but a ton of playing time. So definitely not somebody to write off. He'll, he'll probably play quite a bit. Um, you, those guys, if any of them aren't healthy, then you're kind of like, oh, well, what are we going to do now? Or McDuffie, especially if we lose him, it, it raises huge questions. Whereas there are far fewer sure things in the safety position, but way more options. And fortunately, yeah. you know, if it, most of those guys could slide over to corner or several of them could, uh, if necessary, the way that our defense develops players. So I, I think the secondary is in good shape, but like you said, it's, it's not about uh, the specific guy or guys who break out and kind of make safety their own. It's just that somebody does it. It, you know, it doesn't really, I don't even, I'm kind yeah, of yeah. agnostic about which guy it is. I think there are reasons <laughs> to argue for about four or five of them. Uh, like I have my own, like, I think Dom Hampton has a really good opportunity uh, to do that given his size and his, his measurables and his, his athleticism, but, uh, and, and Irvin as well, uh, for all the reasons you said, and he's already started to pop up in spring practice quite a bit, but you know, if it's not them, I'd be thrilled if Cameron Turner becomes an all conference player or something. It doesn't, doesn't really matter which one it is. Cameron Turner, the uh, the the meshing of Asa and, <laughs> and yes. Williams. Cameron Turner and Asa Williams. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you pretty much nailed it there. That there's not a bunch that's sure, but but um, yeah. Never mind. We don't need to rehash that. <laughs> well, let's leave it at that on the defensive side. We're gonna take a little break. It's it's kind of funny that we started uh, on the defense because probably the thing. Uh, everybody wants to talk about more than anything else is um, the quarterback position. So let's talk offense after the break, but let's wait to talk quarterback until the very end of that as well, because it's kind of funny to do it that way. So uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about all of the uh, mainly who's going to get all the snaps at right guard for half an hour. So stick around for that. 
All right, welcome back. Thank you for sticking around through the ads. We've talked defense. We're going to move over to the offensive side of the ball. And as promised, we will not be talking about the quarterback battle until later, uh, just as trolls. I actually am not going to start at right guard. Um, probably not going to talk about that at all. But I do want to talk about the crazy amount of turnover at the wide receiver position. So this is quarterback adjacent, at least. This position, like bar none, uh, the rest of the – it probably has more uh, flux – at the position than, you know, any two other positions combined on the roster. Uh, losing Puka Nakua, Ty Jones, Marquise Spiker, Austin Osborne, out of the transfer portal. Puka obviously being the headliner of that group in terms of production, but Jones also, uh, you know, a leader and a steady presence in the room. And then Jalen Polk, Giles Jackson transferring in, uh, Jabez Tanay, uh, true freshman. Sawyer Racanelli was a freshman last year, but missed the whole year due to injury. So he's basically a new addition to the room. I, what are you thinking about this position overall? I mean, there's a, a million different ways we could go talking about this, but I, I'm just interested to hear like what you think in net we ended up with out of this. Is this a decent receiving group? Is this, are we much worse than we would have been if everybody stayed? Like, how are you looking at this? I mean, it's, it's such a bizarre, I mean, yeah, it's such a bizarre scenario as far as, I mean everything. I get I, the 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 Puka Nakua transfer that that for me I kind of have taken football out of it because you know like him and his brother both transferred to BYU to be close to their mom because of family stuff and so for me any football shenanigans I'm like you know what whatever um, that doesn't really matter. So for for him it's for the Huskies it's that obviously sucks, um, but. But I'm not, you know, salty about it. I mean, I'm not salty about any of that. <laughs> but it's just, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen so much turnover. So much, I should say, so much non-quarterback turnover or quarterback turnover, I suppose, um, in any in any room for any team that off the top of my head that I can think of. Um, I think it is. It, I th I think primarily, yeah, I I am now just concerned concerned lowercase c about depth um because from what we saw last year like rolling out a um a, a say let's say a three wide receiver set with like Bynum, Odunze and uh, McMillan like I'm pretty confident in that um uh and then you know and then adding Jackson for example from Michigan who is a small guy but is like John Ross elite as far as speed goes um, and, and playmaking in space. Uh, and then of course, Jalen Polk, Polk, who, who had a, as far as true freshman years go, had a pretty good one over at Texas tech. Um, um, but, but suddenly as far as depth, it kind of feels to me a little bit like the cornerback situation you were talking about earlier, where, um, the, 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 the main front line I have quite a bit of faith in, but um, it, if if one of those guys goes down, um, I still have faith, but it's a lot less. It it, it becomes a lot shakier, <laughs> and and I, I think the interesting kind of wild cards in that whole scenario, as far as the transfers out, are obviously Spiker and Osborne, um, because you. I mean, on one hand, it sucks. And we, you don't want them to transfer out, especially since they were both coveted, super coveted recruits and sh showed a lot. And 
Uh, Spiker got, you know, a li- he got a little bit of action on the field at his time in UW, but it, it really was just a little bit bizarre how little of an impact they made and not, not really knowing was that the coaching staff not giving them an opportunity or was it them really just not being able to put it together. And I, I, I think the judgment I personally will have in, in hindsight about this whole, the wide receivers transferring out anyway, I think, I don't, I don't think I'll be able to have a confident say in that until <laughs> until we see what what those two can do wherever they do end up. Um, Puka sucks. Ty, um, losing Ty kind of stinks too. Um, it, you know, he's kind of not 100% superstar all the time, but sometimes he did, you know, really good. He was pretty dependable um, and came on our podcast. Woo. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, and when you talk about, yeah. like, the, the, the fear of depth issues, that's the kind of guy, like an experienced upper class. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Size and uh, kind of like a deep uh, <laughs> array of skills that he can feature. He, he would make you feel a lot better if yeah. something did happen to McMillan or Odunze. Yeah, yeah. That I think that kind of nails it is is a guy like Jones and, and, and Nakua, but especially Jones with, you know, having been in there since 2017. That, that that's a certain level of, of maturity and dependability that that is so helpful to just the room in general where depth is concerned. But yeah, I, I think I, I, I am really interested though in in the two guys that are coming in and Polk and, and Jackson. So it's just a really fascinating scenario, I think. And um, yeah. It is kind of funny that there are, by my count, seven scholarship receivers, and at least four of them, maybe even five, if you say Bynum, possibly Racanelli, Polk, Jackson, and uh, Tanay, are all primarily slot receivers. <laughs> and, and we often run two receiver formations. I, I, I'm guessing that the coaching staff is looking at them as more diverse than that, that they can yeah. do different well, things. I think uh, Racanelli, I think... It- I disagree with Rockinelli's assessment there. I think he's pretty in, an interesting specimen. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I know what you, what you mean, yeah. Uh, and it's also, I mean, we the depth issue uh, is implicated in a way by the fact that we do have really interesting and good depth at tight end all of a sudden. This was something I think a year ago I would have said, I have some questions about the position, but Kind of, we've kind of hit on a lot of things like Westover has been much better than what you would expect from a walk on H back type. Uh, Otten is one of the best players in the conference. And when we talk about, do we have a true number one receiving option? Yes, we have him. Uh, and, you know, we can talk, let's say like there were times when we didn't give him the ball early enough, but he's doing more than acting as a decoy receiver because he's an outstanding blocker as well. And then you add, you know, Redmond what showed really good promise as a freshman uh, Culp has been up and down, but mm-hmm. still very physically talented. And then bringing in Quentin Moore, uh, it sounds like he's super exciting, like great athlete. And it sounds yeah. like he's like really got his career on track at this point. And that's leaving out some of the younger guys who probably won't have to play very much. But like you, you say, like we don't, we have questionable depth there. It kind of makes me think back to last year uh, when we had some uh, linebacker injuries or Ryan Bowman was out and they just put uh, Josiah Bronson at linebacker as this, you know, 300 pound uh, 
guys standing up uh, off the defensive line. You know, if we do lose uh, McMillan or Odunze for some amount of time, just put 245 pound Quentin Moore out wide and, you know, maybe <laughs> with that. I, I, I feel so good about the tight ends and the fact that we're running two tight ends frequently uh, that it, it makes me feel less bad about the receiver depth. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. And especially, I think that kind of, um, when you look at, I think that makes it all the more crucial that when, uh, you know, when they're running with 12 personnel or, um, or whatever, or doing I formation in really tight sets that they, that they do pass out of those pretty frequently because it's like, dude, you have all this stuff. If you're going to be, be playing like that, I mean, really there's no reason not to take advantage of it in every possible way. And, and guys, you can do more than one thing. Like, yeah, you, yeah. you know, guys, you could block out of the backfield, block in line, uh, line up out wide, catch, catch passes off the line, like all kinds of different stuff. So it's it is really interesting. I, I think that compares in a strange way. Like, I think the tight end depth is purely a strength. I have a little bit of concern that we might have uh, the wrong kind of depth at running back. Uh, there are a <laughs> bunch of interesting players there, but I don't know. One, I have no idea who's going to lead the team in carries. Two, we have so many guys who seem like they should get opportunities that it seems inevitable that one or two of them are going to be kind of frustrated by the end of the season. Uh, Who do you think, like, if you had to pick somebody, who do you think leads this team in carries? And, like, who do you think uh, should get more but ultimately won't? I I think, yeah, okay. I think it'll be split with a, a, I would say the the majority will go to a split of McGrew and Davis would be my gut. Although I am a little bit confused about, you know, when you look at, for example, Ty Jones transferring out, you would think that a guy like Kamari Pleasant would also be kind of like, you'd think he would, <laughs> would transfer out. So, I mean, I know some of us had complaints last year about being like, you know, we like, Kamari Pleasant and he isn't a bad player but it it felt like he was getting a disproportionate number of snaps compared uh, you know when you looked at the other talent in that room um uh my gut would be McGrew uh and Davis I think Davis is probably of that room is the most um I think I don't I I guess he is I don't know if you I want to say the most complete back but I'm just gonna say that because that's the quickest way that I can really articulate it um I I think he's probably the most talented at at the most things and McGrew is just really dependable at this point which is not a thing many of us saw coming like a year into his (laughs) UW career um but I I would say those two are probably going to split it for the majority um and, and Newton is kind of a conundrum too because no one really knows what's going on there he's not uh he's not a super explosive he's not he's not really explosive at all but he's punishing and really fun to watch um and so i i think we'll probably i you know who knows if he's in the doghouse or or what's kind of going on there uh, and also J- jv on sunday is as you know he'll be a redshirt freshman next year and um I I know a lot of people when when he committed to UW were like what the he- why does this guy run so weird <laughs> and he <laughs> runs so weird but he's so fun to watch and I they, you know I know he's there, there have been a couple reports from uh, the first few practices at spring of him just like 
trucking dudes, even when they're not wearing pads. So uh, I don't I don't think it's I don't know if he'll receive a whole bunch of snaps, but I hope we get to see some of that at least. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think one, I, I think there is probably a strong possibility of kind of a thunder and lightning pairing, you know, the old uh, <laughs> cliche, I guess. I, I, when I hear that, I think of those New York Giants teams from however long ago, 15 years ago or something. I think it was like Ahmad Bradshaw and Ron Dane or something and had like eight different combinations that they called thunder and lightning. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, McGrew being the the smaller, speedier back. And I, I love Sean McGrew. He's maybe my favorite yeah. player on this team just in terms of like uh, watching the weird stuff that he can do. And it just does not seem like somebody his size should be as mm-hmm. uh, difficult to tackle that as he is. Center of gravity. Strong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe this is, I have a type, like Barry Sanders, my favorite football player. Yeah. This is like that, the bowling ball running back. Yeah, yeah. Very cool player. Uh, but the other side of it, the the punishing back, like just going off of size, you mentioned Sunday, you mentioned Newton, Pleasant kind of fits that profile. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, well, Caleb Barry's a true freshman. I, I think based on just numbers, we'd assume that he's going to redshirt. Yeah. Uh, we didn't mention Sam Adams, who was a like big time local recruit. Uh, one of these guys, I, I guess maybe, uh, maybe Adams is the one who kind of isn't given an opportunity quite yet. Uh, I could see the thing with Newton, like you mentioned, there's just a lot of smoke around. He's not in certain practices. There's like rumors of conflicts with coaches. I don't know anything about any of that. None of it's substantiated, yeah. but usually when there's like enough whispers about it, something eventually comes out of it. It's usually not, you just like move on and it turned out there was nothing there ever. Uh, so it wouldn't shock me to find out he's not going to be an integral part of the team this year or after this year. Uh, but I, I think you're probably right. It's like some combination of a and then, you know, maybe Davis, maybe pleasant, maybe Newton, maybe Sunday, I, you know, and then just down the list. But I guess McGrew would be the safest bet in terms of who gets the most carries because he seems like the most stable of that group. Yeah. And he really is kind of, I mean, I feel like we get used to people in, in a college program after two or maybe three years kind of peaking. He really is a perfect example of, of that guy who really took a while to get going and then improved quite a bit uh, every year and it that's been really just from a from a human standpoint has been really gratifying you know want to yeah i don't know i i I totally agree with you i I like that dude yeah uh so as promised uh now that we've gone through most of the rest of the offense let's talk a little bit about quarterback and i actually uh kind of intentionally put this at the end because i don't think this is that interesting i think uh you know we talked a lot over the last year about Sam Heward coming in, but based on the early comments by John Donovan and even the rest of the office of coaching staff, it sounds like they're pretty much set that they have a really good returning quarterback who's been in the system and started games for a year. And they're not that interested in rocking the boat right now. Uh, it sounds like the overwhelming likelihood is that Dylan Morris will be the starting quarterback in week one. Do you have any reason to f- think differently about that? No, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, I think I think for what it's worth, I don't want it to sound like we think they're not giving Heward a chance. I think he if he does take over, he's going to be really good. And I, I think that's kind of I, I think you're right that it's pretty much unless something drastic happens, it'll, it'll probably be Dylan Morris. Um, and for what it's worth, I'm totally cool with that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For, for Sam, for both for 
for the sake of, you know, how, how the trajectory of quarterback development works, especially for a guy who's pretty young, like he is. Um, and then also for Sam Heward's sake, like I, I'm totally cool. I mean, even Trevor Lawrence, whether this was good, whether this was right or wrong, Trevor Lawrence didn't start the season for his true freshman year when he, you know, then went and won, uh, the, won the championship, the national championship. Like they Clemson started with Kelly Bryant and Dylan Morris is better than Kelly Bryant. (laughs) Um, uh, I think it's, I think it's just better for Sam Heward unless he proves without a doubt that he's ready. I think mentally it's probably better for him to be able to not be, have the weight of the world, which he already has as a Heward and as a five-star and everything. Um, I, I, I'm totally, I think whatever happens with the, with the quarterback room, I have confidence in that. Um, yeah. I, I, the other part of this is most true freshman quarterbacks who start are quite bad. Not all. Yeah. There are counterexamples, but most of them are turnover prone, not super accurate. And if they're good, it's usually because they're elite athletes who could scramble away from exactly. uh, pressure. And that's not Sam Heward. Uh, they they compared it. I think it was Donovan who said it's like he's le- having to learn a new language mm-hmm. moving from an air raid offense to what they're running. That might be overstating a little bit. Like, I'm sure he could step in and be a competent quarterback. But I'm not sure that even though he throws a better deep ball than Morris and is probably has a quicker and more accurate release than Morris. Like, I'm not I don't think he would even necessarily be uh, a better physical passer in this season. And I think Morris does have a huge advantage being two years ahead of learning the college game. Uh, even though last year was, I mean, I, we counted as a year because that amount of time passed, <laughs> but like in terms of the experience that he gained, it was much different than what we usually talk about as a year of football. So I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to move by, I think I'm, I'm developing kind of a, a weird fetish for our weird transfer backup quarterbacks because I'm now like last year, I couldn't stop talking about Kevin Thompson being 105 <laughs> years old. And now like Patrick O'Brien being listed at 245 pounds. Uh, and we were just talking about like the, uh, the, the jumbo tight end at wide receiver sets and just like throw him in there with Kamari Pleasant and O'Brien and just have nobody on the field under 240 pounds at a time and just see what happens. Like, maybe that'll me. work. It's not really a plan, but give it a yeah. shot. <laughs> why? I mean, why not? What the, eventually the sun, reason. eventually the sun will explode the earth will be no more. Humans won't exist. Why not put Patrick O'Brien in a four tight end set? Yeah. And if the if the sun explodes, we're going to need a new source of gravity for everything to revolve around. And what better way to get there than running a three-ton offense? Exactly. All right. God, let's so stop smart. talking about football. And let's talk a little bit about our recommendations. We've had months to watch and consume media. Um, what was the most enjoyable, exciting, interesting, non-football, non-sports thing that you have um, has passed through your synapses in the last few months? The thing with that is that I really have somehow, I don't know how, I don't, I feel like somehow I consume so much and yet nothing, (laughs) but I do, I do have a recommendation, but um, it's not, it's okay. So I, yeah, never mind. Uh, (laughs) Words. Um, I do have a plug, and that's uh, 
before the pandemic started, like shortly before. And oh, actually, in fact, I think this was a plug I did originally on one of our podcast recordings that got deleted by the internet. Um, is a friend of mine and a local comedian, uh, Taylor Clark, had a, had an album come out, short, uh, or he recorded an album right before the pandemic, and then it came out during the pandemic called Addictive Tickle. Um, it's really he he's one of the funniest people I have ever known. Um, and you know, I in, in that in that includes people who've been on late night a lot. Um, yeah, he, he he's so funny. Please God, look up. Uh, I'm, I'm sh- I, you know, buy it if you are feeling generous, or just like stream it on Spotify or whatever the hell. Um, and you can also find him at uh, Taylor Clark Comedy on Instagram. Um, he's followed by Tony Hawk. Yeah, that's right. He's famous within the skateboarding community for for because he's an adult skateboarder. Um, and so yeah, so uh, um, yeah, so I I recommend going and finding that album if you're into stand up. Um, Addictive Tickle, which I kind of want to give away what that's referring to. Kind of don't. Uh, it's about bidets. Whatever. I couldn't help it. I'm not good at secrets. I'm great at secrets, actually. Uh, other than that, I've just kind of been staring at walls, watching hockey, uh, reading a page of a book, then forgetting about it. That's, yeah. <laughs> so I just have this album for you after four or five months of us not recording. I couldn't come up with anything more substantial. That's pretty great. Um, I, I forgot that you mentioned that before, but I remembered at the time thinking, oh, I'm going to find a way to listen to that and then forgetting about it, as you mentioned. And then right now I just did the same thing. So we'll see if history repeats itself and I forget about it again. Um, I've got, this is like you said, time passes and you just completely forget what you've watched or listened to or whatever. Um, I, my wife and I watch every movie that gets nominated for best picture every year as like we go out of our way to do it. So I think in the the time since we last recorded, we watched pretty much all those movies. And now I'm just like, can't remember much about any of them. I know I, I, my two favorites were one night in Miami and uh, Minari, the one about the Korean immigrant family Mm -hmm. in Arkansas, both love both of those. The two things that I'm going to mention, one is a TV show that we're just finishing. It's from, uh, Swedish HBO called uh, Bjornstad. It's a uh, or Bear Town. It's about this hockey, uh, this town in rural Sweden obsessed with hockey. Um, and so most of rural Sweden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like this old pro grows up and returns to the city and to to coach the team and like bring them back from the the brink the youth team bring them back from the brink of extinction or whatever. And um, I don't want to give too much away, but there's a significant tragedy involving uh, his family and one of the players. And the this, this show is just dark and grim and <laughs> incredibly uncomfortable to watch, but extremely good. And we have one, I have one episode left, and I'm going to probably go watch it tonight. Uh, it's all in Swedish. I know you uh, are a German speaker, and I think yeah. there's enough overlap there. It might well, be... I- uh, interesting to try to pick up some. And of it. I, I also know just enough Norwegian to know that I don't know what they're talking about in Swedish. <laughs> so that'll be fun. Um, uh, I really wanted to watch that because um, I was like, ooh, hockey, 
which is the only activity I've been getting lately. And if anyone hears that and is like, oh my God, you're going to get COVID. It's like me and two other people on the ice. Don't worry. Um, uh, and then I was like, oh, and HBO in Sweden, they probably do good shit. And then you were like, and it's really dark and terrible to watch. And I was like, I don't have the bandwidth for that emotionally <laughs> right now, no matter how good it is. I'll watch well, it when there's no pandemic. The other thing I was going to wa- mention is this is I've been watching that show and then going to read my book, which is called Hidden Valley Road, which is a uh, have, you're reacting like you've seen this It's by a guy named Robert Kolker. But the short version is it's, it's nonfiction. It's about a family in Colorado who grew up in the 50s and 60s who had 12 kids and six That's of them were schizophrenic. Six That's of the 12 too many children. Uh, so it's like it's super interesting about the. Uh, relationship that the between the family itself, but also the impact that they had on mental health research, because this is like a, you know, one in a million chance to study genetics, where mm-hmm. they're all uh, like affected within their own uh, gene code. Uh, but really, just like, it's one of those books where like, I'm reading it. And like, also, again, makes your stomach churn, but it's like, do not want to put it down. I can't wait to get back and read more. Oh, about gosh. It. No, um, I, when I reacted, you said I reacted like I had something to say. I did, but it wasn't about that book. It was about Sweden and hockey, but not about what anything about Sweden and hockey, just that I have a plug. Also, it's not for anything entertainment related. It is not a thing you watch or listen to or read. Um, just if you have foot pain, I swear this is going to go relate. Um, This whole podcast, as we've been recording, I have been rolling my foot with a little Swedish hockey, wooden hockey stick handling ball. You can't see it, but for an hour I've been doing that. And it is, (laughs) it is, it is a wonderful, wonderful, uh, I can't, I cannot express enough if the arch of your foot hurts or anything, roll it with a Swedish wooden stick handling ball. How similar the is end. that to Health a advice. lacrosse ball? Uh, I, have, I have my lacrosse ball at the ready, a, but I usually quite similar. It's just smaller, and de- and it's wood. Uh, it's yeah. just for, you don't actually play hockey with it, but uh, man, oh, this MFR, my foot hurts We're comparing <laughs> um, obscure sports um, yeah. implements. Which is probably a good place to end. So yeah, thanks everybody for now. listening to our first uh, episode back. Uh, hope you're all doing well. I'm very excited to have football back on the horizon. We just got the notice today that season ticket renewals are are starting. So hopefully everybody can get uh, vaccinated in time to actually show up at the games. And it'll be amazing in the fall that we can go to Husky games again. It's like really the only social engagement that I've missed. I've mostly just been thrilled that I get to sit at home all the time. This is a, <laughs> the one thing that I really feel like I'm missing out on. So hopefully we can all get back to football. In the yeah. Fall. Uh, me too. I, I miss tailgating and running into dubs. RIP. Oh, that was sad. Okay. Yep. I'm going to shut up now. Bye-bye.